This is the Life Journey Podcast with Quentin, a.k.a. Q Gauze No Days Off. From on the field and off the field, NFL player and entrepreneur. Motivating you to be the best you can be and getting you out of your comfort zone. Sharing with you travel, sports, and entrepreneurial tips with amazing guests on the show. Now, get ready for your life to change with the Life Journey Podcast and your host, Quentin Gauze. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Life Journey Podcast. You're here with your host, Quentin Gauze. We have two amazing guests on the show today. Wow. And actually, by the way, we're in Ottawa, Canada, um, and we're here with Devon and Pearly and Clunas. How are you guys doing today? We're doing fantastic. We're doing great, Quinn. Good to be here with you. It was great to be on the, you know, I was glad to have you on the show. And um, wow, this is this is the amazing podcast because I've done some international podcasts over laptop, but it's great to be here in a whole nother <laughs> whole nother um, country and uh, be here as well too. So you first off, Devon, you have a great story and I want to be able to capture that story today on our podcast and Perlene. I, but first off, let's talk about um, both how you both met and um, kind of go from there. Oh, well, that's a good story. You want the real version, my version, or his version? Well, let's get both versions. Well, well here is the <laughs> real version. And, you know, as you said, we have good stories. And what I've come to realize is that most of us, if we take time to really share our stories, we all have some very impactful stories. But in terms of how we met, I was a police officer in the city of Winnipeg. And I always like to say one of the first black police officers in our city. And, you know, at one point in time, we have what's called Grand Beach, a fantastic beach in the city. And I was a fairly young guy. Myself and my best friend said, you know what, we we're kind of tired of the whole dating scene. Let's just go to the beach, relax, get away from girls, be by ourselves. <laughs> and there I was with my best friend on the boardwalk. And sure enough, another friend of ours who, you know, is Perlene's very good friend. They see me and my friend on the boardwalk and they come up. Mm -hmm. and they approach us. I absolutely ignored her because as I said, I was trying to get away from girls. And, you know, uh, two days later, we're at a really cool club in the city. It's called Strawberries. Mm -hmm. And once again, I'm there just minding my own business. And <laughs> that's my story. And I'm sticking with it. What would you have to say, my bride? Let's hear the other side, too. Well, you know, there's that side that, and then the other side. Okay, So, no, I'll, I'll give you some contextualness. Okay. So, Grand Beach is one of the top 10 um, freshwater beaches in the world. Mm -hmm. Beautiful miles and miles of fresh beach. There's one area of the beach where the boardwalk is and the girls in the bikinis. They call it the nightclub with bikinis uh the volleyball pits are there that's where the hot people oh that's where the <laughs> then the there's the people. east side where the families go it's very quiet the babies are playing in the water and my girlfriend and i went to the east beach okay where it was quiet we decided to take a walk down the beach and as we got closer to the boardwalk she said because she was just a new recruit she was a year into mm -hmm. a police officer I know that guy. He's in the year ahead of us. Let's go say hi. So the part about him ignoring me, that part is true. And the part about going to the club and meeting me again, that part is true. Okay. But the, the whole thing that he was trying to get away from anybody who knows Grand Beach, it's very, very, very funny mm -hmm. when he says he went to the boardwalk to get but, away from girls. But here's the thing, Quinn. Okay. In our very young adult minds, and you know, we actually thought that made sense. Okay. Now, <laughs> now I've been matured, I realized that was really silly. However, however, turned out to be the best decision I ever made because mm. 
that's where I met my bride. Mm. And and I'm still, she's still my best friend, so it obviously turned out okay. Right. Yeah. And that's so what's good. It's a good story. <laughs> awesome story. I love it. You should write a book about that. You should write a... <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> awesome. So uh, let the people know about um, you know, about both your career paths of where you've gone and um, your childhood of growing up. Well, for me, and again, it's a long journey. I'll take you all the way back to Jamaica, where I grew up in a place that's called Harmonyville. Mm-hmm. Beautiful place, but you know, I grew up very poor in terms of we had no electricity, no running water. However, living in Jamaica, in rural Jamaica at the time, you know, I had everything I needed. I didn't believe I was poor. It's only after we immigrated to Winnipeg and you saw everything that you know other people had that you thought you were poor. So it really, again, it's quite contextual. And so immigrated to Winnipeg in 1975, left Mm -hmm. everything I knew in terms of culture, being raised by my grandparents, you know, brought into an entire new culture. And my first year was very challenging. Ended up failing grade six. Mm. And I remember sitting again, it wasn't a very diverse community. Uh, I was literally the only black person in my class. And after failing grade six, I remember sitting with my mother and two teachers and hearing these exact words, one of the teachers saying, He's just not a very smart little boy. Let's put him in a class for slow learners. Mm. And I remember something just screaming in my head saying, no, I can do this. I always tell people, you know, I think this was my first real God moment because the decision was left to me. Do you want to repeat grade six, which which young person wants to repeat grade six? And I remember thinking, I'm going to feel dumb. I'm going to be older than the rest. But something in my head said, that's the best decision for mm. your future. So as, as a little boy of age 12, I made a decision. This is what you need to do for your future. Mm. Perlene, you can share your early pieces. Well, you know, I hadn't really thought about uh, how I kind of fit into this uh, part of the book, but when Devon and I would be talking about this and later on he would be reflecting on what made the difference in him. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would reflect on my early childhood. I also, I didn't move from another country, but I moved from very small towns to very small towns in Northern Manitoba. And in the, those towns, you know, people had known each other for hundreds of years. Grandparents had known each other. So a newbie coming in is difficult to try to assimilate into this a different culture than what you're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened was uh, back in the day, um, like in kindergarten, that's when I was in the one town, I was learning to read. I thought I was pretty smart. I was a pretty confident little girl. And then we moved into an even smaller town. And this town was so small that I had the same teacher for grade one and two. And oh. at that time, they would teach you to read by holding up a Dick, Jane, and Spot book. Oh. People from my generation were all like, oh, yeah, yeah, we all learned to read. <laughs> and what the teacher did was she would read the book to the classroom. And I was very good at memorizing every single um, uh word for each book or mm-hmm. for each page and she would point to me and just say "Perlene, read it and i did so for grade one and two i was put into um, a group where we basically colored for grade one and two and she concentrated on kids that couldn't read well grade three came along and i uh, came home from school one day and i was crying i couldn't do my homework and so my mother said well just read the question and that's when they realized that i couldn't read mm. now back in the day what they would do is the resource teacher would come in and everybody knew it was for the slow kids they would come in in the classroom and call out the kids who were having trouble the slow learners and they would be put into a special class mm. so you would get teased at lunchtime and i was put in those slow learner from grade three to grade six right so that really is your really formidable years and it was really imprinted on my brain that i was dumb that i i couldn't do schoolwork and that i was just really just not as smart as the rest of the kids so that's how that impact from 
mm -hmm. impacted me. So again, you look at where we are now, mm -hmm. and I, I think the, the strong message that we want to bring is that we shouldn't stereotype, particularly at those early ages. We need Shannon. to look at culture, you know, the societal environment that people are being nurtured in, and realize that in every child, there is this incredible potential right. that just requires or needs your nurturing, my nurturing. So I grew up in a part of our city, you know, very low socioeconomic standards. And I remember at a very early age saying to myself that I'm going to do something to make a difference. By the time I graduated grade nine, the little boy that they said wasn't very smart was graduating top student in the entire school. And I said to myself, I'm going to do something to set an example for other kids who look like me and for the general population that because where you're coming from or what you look like, doesn't matter where you're living, we have this incredible potential. Mm -hmm. And I never thought I wanted to be a police officer back in the late 70s, early 80s. Everything I ever saw on television relative to police officers and people who look like me wasn't very positive. But I went on to university and, and during those days I had a job at a store in our city called the bay and i was in security and while i was doing that job I had the opportunity for the first time to talk to a police officer face to face this was a caucasian police officer and i told him how much i enjoyed that job at the time i'd never seen a black police officer in our city and that officer encouraged me to become a police officer and the reason i said yes was not because i love police work mm -hmm. but i thought this would set the example so mm -hmm. that's why i went into police work didn't even know how much he got paid i just thought that will set the example and so I became a police officer and uh, over the years, rose through the ranks, finally in 2012 to become the chief of police, the first black chief wow. of police in the history of Canada. Of Canada. Yeah. Wow. That's that's powerful. That's amazing. That's a powerful story. And, and just hearing both of you talk about like um, getting put in like the smaller classes or the stu students getting picked out. It's funny. I was actually in the same predicament. Like they said I had an IEP, which is an individual education plan in the United States. And they labeled me in kindergarten saying, wow. um, well, he can't. He's he can't learn Spanish and English because my mother's from Central America. Mm -hmm. You can't learn Spanish and English. Uh, he needs to just he needs to just learn. Well, he can't learn just Spanish. Uh, he needs to learn just English. So let's focus on that. I guess I couldn't learn it as fast. Mm -hmm. So that yeah, that they put me in the smaller classrooms in the same same situation and that same thing. It just made it made me hungry to like um, prove them wrong and. Um, ended up graduating with a 3.5 GPA in high school and stuff like that too. So it's great hearing that story of other people that you know are older than me that have been through the same thing that are still um, hard workers that are grinding. So it's great to see that. And um, there's a lot of younger kids, you know, that um, they, they really live that stereotype. They like, oh, well, I guess I uh, got this, uh, in, what do they call it, individual education plan. I, I guess I'm not smart. I'm just going to live my life this way. And that's not the way you're supposed to, you know, mm -hmm. think beyond that. So it's great hearing that. But go ahead and continue. Well, well, one of the things too is that I think the essential part of the first book that we wrote is it's a tribute to teachers. Mm. So what happened was when he had this opportunity to to stay back in grade six, uh, um, this lovely teacher called Miss Hannah came to Devon and said, "If you come an hour early every day after school or before school, I will help you," mm. and he did. So that was the catalyst. And so later on, as he went through his life, I think he was probably at the rank of inspector and he was really reflecting back and how did his life go like this? You know, right. coming from Jamaica, no running water, you know, no indoor plumbing. And, and now he's an inspector and he felt so blessed to be in that position. And then he, we were talking and he said, it's Miss Hannah, I have to find Miss Hannah. So he went down to the school board and asked if he could find Miss Hannah with his uniform on, didn't mm -hmm. want to look like a stalker, and asked if he could find her to thank her. And they told her sadly that she had passed away. 
But every time he had a chance and opportunity to speak, he would always um, give credit to Miss Hannah and talk about how she influenced his life. Mm -hmm. Then when he was in the running to become chief of police, you can share that little next little part. Yeah, so this was really important. So again, they had told me that she had passed away. So I always like to share that, hey, the power, the influence that one person can bring yeah. and then the ripple effect. So now in 2012, I'm in the running to become the chief of police and my name and my face is consistent in the paper. And one day I get a call at home and it's from one of my officers calling me and he says, Devon, I don't know if this makes sense, but my neighbor works at the school board office. They remember you coming in looking for this teacher. She hasn't passed away but she's in the hospital with a terminal illness. Mm. Like literally, I ran to Perlene and I said, I can't believe this. Miss Hannah is still alive. I get a chance to thank her. So I put on my best suit and I go down <laughs> to the hospital. I find her room. I knock, I walk in. I hadn't seen Miss Hannah in 36 years. Wow. I walk in and I said, Miss Hannah, do you remember a little boy named Devon Clunis? She looks at me and she says, yes. And I'm praying that you become the next chief of police. I said, Miss Hannah, thank you that I can even apply for the position. Because if not for what you did all those years ago, I wouldn't be where I am. And I said, you probably did it for hundreds of other kids, but never heard thank you. So I want to thank you for every single one of those kids. And we just sat and we talked. And yes, Miss Hannah passed away three weeks later. Mm. But as I told you earlier, I became the 17th chief of police in our city's history. And the first who looks like me in the history of our country, not because I'm so brilliant, but because one person decided I'm going to invest in a life. Mm -hmm. And so I challenge each person to say, invest in one life. You never know what the effects, the ripple effects mm -hmm. of that is going to be. And never label any child as not having the capacity. We within community have to build that up within every child. Mm. And you know, as we shared our stories and he had um, at a very young age, somebody step in and, and was willing to help. You know, I would reflect on, I'm like, who was there for little Perlene? I, I, nobody came in. I grew up feeling like I was really, you know, not very smart. I had a stigma around spelling. Still to this day, if I have to spell something in front of somebody, I go, I go blank. So it's affecting me now, how many years later? And so when our family moved, when I was in grade seven to, the city, Winnipeg was the capital of Manitoba. Mm -hmm. And I went to a school, 2,000 kids. Nobody knew who I was. And it was the first year the school was open, brand new school. Mm -hmm. So kids were coming from all over the place. So they were all new. There wasn't any clicks form right. or anything like that. And I tried really hard because I was always a hard worker. And at the end of grade seven, I made honor roll. And I'm like, whew, I fooled all those teachers. They do not know I'm really not smart. Grade eight came along. I had this wonderful teacher and she treated me like I was just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. I made the honor roll again. And I went through all high school thinking, wow, I just fooled them all. And But I always had in the back of my mind, somebody's gonna figure out that I'm not so smart one day. So after Devon had had the chance to find Miss Hannah and thank her, um, I still always kind of felt a little sorry for myself. Um, that I never had that teacher. And one day Devon and I were um, going for a walk in a park behind our house. And um, we were again talking about how grateful he was that he was able to thank Miss Hannah. And then all of a sudden I thought, okay, you know what? I must have somebody. Who would it be in my life that made me feel, maybe they didn't do anything. And I'm like, uh-huh, my grade eight teacher, Mrs. Deneuve. I said, she didn't do anything special no special treatment, but she just assumed or made me feel like she assumed I was smart, mm -hmm. that I could do the work, that I could get the A's. And I said, I would love to know what happened to her. And I took 20 more steps. I looked up in the path and right in front of me was Mrs. Deneuve. And I haven't seen her in like 30 some years since graduating. Wow. And I'm like, you won't believe this, Mrs. Deneuve. But I was just saying to my husband, he's a police officer. He, I'm not lying. 
I'd love to find you and thank you. And I gave her a big hug and I said, thank you so much for what you did. You didn't do anything special, but you made me feel like I was smart. So thank you for all of the other kids that you did this for. And that was it. Well, two years later, fast forward, we were at the book launch for the little boy from Jamaica. Mm -hmm. It was huge. It was packed out. And we finally made her, well, one of the interesting things is the the radio personality, he was doing the emceeing for the event. Mm -hmm. And nobody had ever asked me this and nobody knew the story. My close friends and my parents, Devon, knew that I felt had this insecurity. And he looked at me and he said, Perlene, how does this story personally affect you? And I got this big lump in my throat. I'm like, I'm going to say this in front of all these people. Mm. I'm like, no, it's important. So I shared the story and said, thank you to Mr. Neft. Made my our way back to the signing table at the end and getting ready to sit down. I look up and there's Mrs. Deneuve. Hmm. I'm like, Mrs. Deneuve, how did you ever? She goes, oh, I've been following this. I brought her around the table and I began to give her a hug and thank her again for being a change maker. And she goes, no, 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 no. You were the change maker. I said, how am I the change maker? She goes, no, you changed my life. I said, how? She goes, that day you met me on the path, my mother had just passed away and your kind words carried me for the months to come. Hmm. Thanks for changing my life. So when we share the story, we share about being grateful and being able to say thank you to the people who make a difference in your life because you don't know if you may not get an opportunity in the future. So that's kind of how we both relate to the book. <laughs> Create up to 12 combinations with Applebee's new pasta and grill combo starting at $9.99. And get more bites for your buck with our late night half-priced apps. Now that's eating good in the neighborhood. Wow, that's powerful. Powerful stories. Powerful stories. Um, just having gratitude and um, being thankful for people that, that make that impact. And um, yeah, I think every child, every person um, has that kind of figure in their life, you know, mm -hmm. and um, even, you know, in, in the in United States in Rochester, you know, there's some kids that grow up that may not have a father and stuff like that. And it's just a mother in the household and their environment make is their family, you know, yes. so gangs and drugs and all that. But it really it, at the end of the day, it, it is the community of people, solid people that help raise you mm -hmm. I mean, along with your parents and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um you know, it's great hearing you know, that you both have been through something, you know, been through that and um, how those people have impacted you and been an influence in your life. So that's amazing. And um, just to act, kind of come back to it, you know, how did it feel becoming the first uh, black uh, police chief uh, in Canada, like in history? Like you, that's that's a major thing. Like that's <laughs> it is a major <laughs> that's thing. A major thing. And I will tell you, as I said, I wanted to become a police officer to set an example. And I felt great when I was just, let's say, a constable. And then I got my first promotion. I thought, ah, you know, what's my responsibility as a supervisor? Well, my responsibility first and foremost is for the care of our people. And then as I rose up the ranks and became the chief of police, it really hit me when a colleague of mine, who actually is now the chief of police here in Ottawa, mm -hmm. Peter Slowly, he called me from Toronto and said, do you realize you're the first black chief of police in Canadian history? And it's... All of a sudden, it was like the weight you just realized. Oh my goodness. And it's sad, but here's the reality. I knew that anything I did from here on in, people weren't, wouldn't just be looking at, it was a police chief. It's the black chief of police. So I really felt this sense of responsibility and ownership that I had to excel because 
they weren't just looking at me. They were looking at people of color. And are you going to do it well? And so I worked incredibly hard because I realized this was not just about Devon. Devon. So yes, you know, I was very happy to be a chief of police, but I also was very aware of my responsibility, not just to myself. Right. And sometimes maybe, yes, that drove me too hard because I, they were talking about 15 hour days. I wanted to ensure that everything you did was above, just maintain the highest integrity because it was not just about me. Wow. And did, yeah. was there any struggles um, along that way, along that pathway while you were a chief of police? Oh, there were some significant struggles. But but again, I always say, you know, it's about you knowing who you are, mm -hmm. why you're in that particular role, that you're not there for the glory of the position. And so for me, it was about how I led. So for me, integrity was always utmost. And I'll share this piece with you because certainly I'm a person of faith. I'm not here to preach to anyone, but I'm saying I was also a police chaplain before I mm -hmm. became uh the chief of police and so early on i was asked okay what can we do for our city our city was at that point murder capital crime capital and a faith-based organization asked me what should we do well i have to be honest and i have to be integrous and i knew there would be some challenges but i said hey as people of faith you should pay pray for the welfare of our city well that was not received very well mm. initially like right across the country and i had to stand and face public media saying a person in your position should not be speaking about this and finally I said this is who I am and I'm not saying you have to be who I am but I'm saying all of us have a part to play right. and bring the very best of who you are to the table and I stood firm on that and it was a major challenge I have to tell you but it set the tone for who I was and how I would lead and it wasn't about you know any particular group but it was about the collective and I can right. tell you our city saw the greatest level of cohesion, the greatest reduction in crime hmm. during that time because we have to stand firm. And unfortunately, oftentimes I don't see people being courageous in terms of living who they are consistently. True. You got to be transparent. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's a big step. A lot of people, and somebody else probably wouldn't have done that. You know, when you got the entire country looking at you, mm -hmm. that's a lot of pressure. But, yeah, but you'd think that something saying something like that would be a divisive, but it actually ended up turning out to be the opposite because after that, Devon got letters from leaders from the Muslim community, wow. from other communities saying, we are so glad you said that, we're with you, we're behind you, uh, we're together, we believe the same way. So he got the support of the community. And because of that community support, and then churches started saying, well, what can we do? And he, and he, he mm. said, in that comedy, he said, prayer, but then action behind it. Mm -hmm. So the churches started getting involved and physically doing things and it was an amazing thing so the headlines went from saying uh, Winnipeg doesn't have a prayer in the world and they showed a picture of Devon sitting at his desk looking like he was praying and a year later it's like it, prayers have been answered crime drops this drops that drops so it turned out really well mm -hmm. in the end well wow. and again all of this was with no additional expenditures right mm -hmm. it was simply about the community starting to act as one right yes and uh and kind of going back you said you worked you know 15 hours just uh just this your focus was just on you know locked in on your on your job how did that affect the family oh what a great question what a profound <laughs> question thank you young man for asking meaningful questions because part of what we do now you know we look back and say okay what's leadership is leadership just about what you do at work or is leadership about what also transpires at home take it away well we've we've had a couple we've had almost three years out now to be able to look at this 
in hindsight and I've always been interested in neurology and how the brain works and we're both, ta he's taking a course, we're reading books about that and we could have done things better. Mm -hmm. Nobody prepares you for this job. Nobody says this is the requirements it's going to be. This is how you could fit into this life or, mm -hmm. you know, I know you're going to have a lot on your mind when you get home, but your wife also has to feel part of it or you're not feeling part of a life that is happening away from you. There's a lot of things that we could have done better. And so now when we do leadership training, we are often um, uh, uh, beginning to be asked to speak uh, to leadership from both sides of, uh, of the coin uh, because I mean I've had I've ex have experience with leadership because I had a business for 27 years mm -hmm. so I have that kind of experience and I thought I had a pretty good grasp of what it would be like to be in this position because my girlfriend who introduced us she was a police officer so I went through it with her so I thought I had the inside mm -hmm. of it um, but I realized that that there were still so many things we could have done better so that we could have come out on the other side better faster right so and so so let me give you a practical example because my entire career right and you know people said yes you did all these things so well and by and large i would say yes i feel good i feel blessed that the things i did was successful but part of what we've always been taught was that leave work at work i think that's a fallacy mm -hmm. uh, what we do now like everything the course that i'm taking i'm like perlene you would love this and i get her involved in anything and everything but in the past we were told in terms of leadership especially at that level the things we we're dealing with leave it at home but you come home it's not at home it's in your head and your head's there and i thought what if i had been sharing all this stuff with my wife rather than listening to what i was thought is mm -hmm. you know taught historically in terms of leadership right and so i think it's always important now to look back and say okay you did this well what didn't you do so well and so my desire is to share that with the next crop, because I think there's a better way for us to do this mm -hmm. thing we call leadership. No, at this level, we shouldn't be leaving it at work. I should be coming home and sharing my wife. Oh, here's yeah. this incredible struggle that I have to go through today. And she can be part of it with me. Right. And you can be stronger. And so I'm just thankful again, I'm not preaching to anyone. I'm like, God's got us at this place. And I'm very thankful because without that, I don't think we would have come through in a fairly healthy way that you can now go forward. So yeah, there's a lot more. We should always be evolving. Mm -hmm. right. I don't like to see us in the same place year after year after year. But in terms of leadership, I think we're failing leadership because some of these old paradigms have been allowed to exist for so long. Right. We want to help to change that. You know, when you know better, you do better, right? And we have uh, one of our hashtags that we have for our business. It's better to be better. Mm -hmm. um, and we realize now through science, and this is maybe not taught enough that, and I would love to be teaching this to the future leaders, is we used to think that there was different boxes in your brain. You have your work box, and you have your kids box, and then you have your family box, and you have your wife box, and none of them, they don't touch. But now we realize that's not the way the brain works. Mm. It's integrated. And um, I think that um, the newer generation are much more willing to understand that we have to be holistic, that we have to work with all, you know, your the way that you eat affects the way that your brain thinks, the way that your brain, you know, you, we're all, it's connected. So we have to have a healthy um, family life, a healthy inner life in order to be the best you can be as a leader. Right. And so before that, that didn't care. You know, you could have as many divorces on the side as you want, didn't affect how you led, but yet it does. It affects your compassion and it affects your ability to connect with people when you're having chaos in your in the background. So now we've, we're hoping to integrate all of the aspects of a human being to be the best that they can be through leadership. Wow. You know what? Um, in the in the book that, um, you know, Tara had, you had the it says uh, it's Aristotle's quote and it's a uh, excellent. What, what, what's the exact? <laughs> it's like pretty much like um, excellence, you know, pretty much having good habits um, allow you to be successful in your life. 
And I remember my coach had that on our walls at football in our in our football facilities. And yeah, you got to live the right way. Um, yeah. And that ma- it makes perfect sense from mm-hmm. what you're saying. Like mm-hmm. it does. Like if you're eating Big Macs and you're like you said having all these uh, different relationships and stuff, and you're at a high position, that doesn't look good. You know, at the end of the day, you got all this you know gunk and dirt and you know it's it's you're trying to look good on the outside but the inside is just filthy you know so no it's amazing that you said that uh and when i guess i guess kind of coming to this point like with relationships and stuff and marriages and stuff like that um you know you kind of already kind of touched on it a bit already but how can some people that are listening right now because we have some people on facebook watching people around the world that's going to listen to this podcast how can they better their marriages how can they you know from the point you know you say i do to 25 you know whatever years later how do you keep that consistent uh you know i, I love the questions you pose <laughs> as a young man so here's what i say i grew up in a single parent home but intrinsically i would look around and say there's something missing and again as a teenager i said to myself one day i want to be a husband and a father now initially for me i thought being a good husband and a father was i am there i would never leave absolutely But at age 29, I remember, you know, I was in a men's group at church. And again, I want to be the best husband I can. So I figured, what's the best way to learn? Well, go to people who are older, who actually have done this. And so I was in a group with all these older men, much older than me. I was the only so-called young person there. But I would sit around and I would listen to these guys. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard was this. And, you know, one of the gentlemen said, I just leave my wife little notes where I know that she'll find them. I'm like, hey, I can do that. So I went home and I executed that. I started leaving little notes where I know she would find them. Ask her how large the box is of notes that she currently has. And then I would start just writing her poetry, Hmm. these sorts of things. So, So how can you do that? If it's your heart's desire, as I said, and it's the same thing in leadership, don't just repeat what we've seen everybody else has done learn and try and do something new something more because i didn't have that example so i started to look to others but not only that you need to have this type of engagement i would say there needs to be this honest feedback so Mm. both have to be willing to communicate did we always have that at the beginning no because again we're just learning from what we've seen in our own respective you know whether it be parenting but we need to have this constant desire struggling to always if your heart's desire is to improve find ways to improve and with technology now, you just have to plug it in and there's so much out there. So if right. it's your desire, just don't take it for granted. Well, one of the things too earlier on is that just piggybacking what he said about being a single parent, he looked around his sphere of people. And these were, uh, I mean, his, in his, the older people in his group and as well as his peers. And according to that standard, he was 100% ahead. He figured I have a job, a good job. I'm not leaving my wife and I'm not going to cheat on her. Those three things are taken care of. There's really not much more room for improvement. Right. And, 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 he, and looking around, he was doing that better than anybody else around him. Hmm. So it wasn't until he saw other older people who were doing it better that he's like, there's room for improvement. Hmm. Huh? I didn't think about that. Um, and then the other thing too is that as you are spending, like we've been together over 33 years, as you're spending time together, people change and they grow and you know you maybe can understand this coming from playing team sports but you want your teammates to be good Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that they are the best defender or their best whatever that they can be because it's going to be better for the whole team 
So if you have that mindset with your spouse that you want them to be the best they can be and you try to make an effort to find out what their needs are and how they can be the best that they can be, right. um, there's nothing better than being around a whole fulfilled person because then that's where you get the synergy and you get that understanding and you feel, both people in the relationship feel seen. Mm for who they really are and for what their potential is. Yeah. And that's an awesome feeling. And to be able to grow up together like that, that is something that I wish we would have known younger, but it's not too late now. So. I mean, even in terms of raising kids. Yeah. <laughs> where do we learn how to be the best parents that we can be? We don't have a course on that, but we should. <laughs> it should. It should because be Because oftentimes that, right? we just see, we do what our parents did. And not, not to fault or blame our parents because they're doing the best that they, they know are. how right. but you know what as i said we should constantly be involved and if you were to talk to my two grown adult daughters now they might say that's a totally different dad and again it's not like i was going around beating them or anything but you know what i think i just see the world differently i see parenting differently i see how i relate to them differently how that impacts them all of that so i am still trying to evolve even as a father to my adult daughters I think part of that learning comes is because we are making the effort to learn, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we are learning about how the brain works. We are learning about the attachment theories of children. We are learning about those kind of things and how they can change the epigenetic structure of our DNA. We're learning all that. Even even if we had wanted to have the desire 20 years ago when we had when the kids were little, mm -hmm. that science wasn't there. Right. So we did the best that we could with what we had. You know, you wanted to have good kids and you wanted to have, you know, the good family thing, but you know so anyway you evolve you change you grow right you said it best evolving like you have to you got to you, you gotta, can't stop gotta grow so that's awesome what's the uh your favorite hometown restaurant in winnipeg hmm well i can't as the uh <laughs> former chief who's still deeply connected into the city who's constantly being reached out to i cannot pick one I have to be very careful about That's that. That's true. So give, give, me, give me your top, your top three. Your top three. <laughs> well, we like, there's a couple that we really like. Well, there's some that they, yeah, well, first of all, ones. I would say I do have a favorite and I'm not, I'm not shy about <laughs> sharing that. My favorite is jerk chicken. Okay. And he has won awards for his jerk oh, chicken. Thank so you. Oh, so he's oh, my favorite well said. chef. Okay. Well said, my <laughs> bro. <laughs> See? Okay. Uh, okay. Thank you. Yep. Uh, yep. So he seriously has won awards. Really? Uh, there was yes, a con yes, when he was chief yes. of police, they had a contest with another <laughs> uh, well-known chef in the city. Really? And they had uh, media there to do judging. And then uh -huh. they had people's choice award and they had a cook-off. They fed over 300 people, gave oh them money to charity and he both uh, People's Choice and Media Award. You never so, yes, told that's me this. well said. That's well said, my bride. Well said. Yeah. So we can't pick a favorite. We can't pick a favorite because that might cause me trouble in my own city. Yeah, Everybody's I'm watching. Still like, very oh, still very connected. Yeah. Wow. That's that's amazing though. Wow. Yeah. I love I love jerk chicken. Way, this is amazing. We'll make it for you then. Yeah. Oh, all right. There. All right. There. All right. Well so said. so uh, let's see here. When we we put on a lot already. So kind of let talk a little bit about your book and how how is it going? And um, you, you said you have a second one coming out as well too. Yeah. So kind of talk about that. Yeah. yeah the, the first book, Little Boy from Jamaica, was launched January 2017, and actually it started out as an adult book, but because of the brilliance of my wife, who first read it and said, Devon, this story would be such a great children's book. We put the adult book aside, and so that one was launched. And then we would go around and promote the book. And as Perlene started to tell her story more and more, and it was actually kids who were saying, when is her story coming out? And we realized just, as I said, all our stories are powerful. And when you share them, you recognize that. And so the second one is the little girl from Osoyoos, and that will be launched 
this November 30th. We're going back to Winnipeg for that. Mm -hmm. And the whole premise around these books, particularly when you look at what's transpiring across the globe right now in terms of the lack of just appreciation for culture and the divisiveness, we want to hopefully help to create a more culturally and sensitive generation of young adults. Because again, if we're going to change the world, and not that I've given up on adults, but we need to focus on the next generation. So that's what we're doing with these books. That's our purpose, and it'll be a series. Little Boy from Jamaica, Little Girl from Asuyus, and the next one is The Little Kids, and we want to really bring these meaningful messages into society. The second book, though, The Little Girl from Asuyus, is not about my story of growing up and being in Slow Learners. It's, it's a different take um, of my life. So I, I grew up in, in small towns, um, mm -hmm. and in the small towns where I grew up and everybody looked like me, we ate the same kind of food, spoke the same kind of languages, but I had the opportunity to meet people from all over the world because my parents would host people from all over the world. Wow. So I had people from Cameroon come and stay with us and I'd be climbing all over their laps and they gave me a record and the only music that had any, any beat in our house was that record. Oh. So I would sit at the end of my couch and beat the drums and <laughs> pretend I was in Cameroon. Then there was a lady who came to visit us from Japan and wow. there was fish they caught and she ate raw fish and I was like, oh, people eat raw fish and grew up and I found out sushi and I loved it. Wow. And my mother had a fabric store in her basement and First Nations ladies would come and pick pretty fabric and buttons and I would imagine what they would sew when I grew up to be a fashion designer. Wow. And so it just speaks about, you know, we may eat different foods, we may listen to different music, but we all love eating food with our family and friends. We all love dancing with family and friends. We cry the same when we're sad. We laugh the same way when we're happy. Um, and we have much more So it, it, in, uh, that is in common and that is similar than is different. Right. So it encourages kids to, um, wouldn't you like to, you know, find out what other people eat? And not just that they're different and we accept them, but really know what the culture is like and understanding the cultures. And so that's what the second book is about. Because I think that's something that is, is very uh, important at this particular moment of our history mm -hmm. is to be able to really embrace people and to get to know them because if you don't know something you you're afraid of it mm. so if you know something you're not afraid and with fear is where you come up with all these ugly actions that we see sometimes happening in the world so. right well that's amazing it's, it's amazing from what, from what you both said um there was a person that had on my podcast named Tanya lulu from ethiopia and there where well, her her job is pretty much um empower her empowerment of youth in africa and then also, I'm trying to think, uh, as, as well, empowerment for, for women. And she pretty much flies around the United, uh, no, let's say United States. She flies around the world to go to different conferences talking about um, how to pretty much bring everyone together um, on these issues and how to make change. Mm -hmm. And it was just interesting, like how everybody has like a similar mindset. Yeah. I mean, even from what you were saying about um, being being able to just make change in different countries and uh, and in Mali, I'm, I, yeah, I'm keep talking about Mali. Make sure you whoever's listening, make sure you check out Mali on um, on YouTube. Um, it's only had I don't know why it only has four thousand views. It should have millions of views. Yeah, it, it will with you doing what you're doing. Yeah, man, yeah. beautiful story. I, I mean, I want to go out and interview him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Yep. A good interview. Yeah. But uh, uh, leave the people, um, both of you, with a quote, a long-lasting quote that they will remember for the rest of their life. All right, a quote that they will remember for the rest of their lives. Hmm, this is really deep. You could have given us a little bit more time to prepare for this one. Okay. <laughs> I can get everybody right. this. Yeah, right. the, only, the only thing Go I ahead. can think of right now, and it's only because it's of my moment of this week that I've been thinking about, it's people sometimes, the actions that they do, and this is what I said, 
doing the right thing and the wrong thing can make the right thing wrong. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to check your motive all the time and make sure your motives for doing what you're doing is correct. Because sometimes you can want to do the right thing, but when you do it in the wrong way. That's true. Sometimes we could be too hasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was watching a video on that, having hasty faith, but uh, being too quick when something was, hey, maybe you should have waited a year mm-hmm. on that. I would say know yourself and live your purpose. Uh, that's who I've always been. I knew, knew who I was, who I wanted to be, and it doesn't matter where I found myself in life, I continued continue to live my purpose. So mm-hmm. I've never retired. It's just a different vehicle to live my purpose. So know yourself and live your purpose. You know what, moreover, because that that's this week. I think moreover, what I say more often than anything is that allow yourself to grow. Because mm. you can be so adamant about something in a certain part of your life, time of your life, and you can alienate people with the strongness of your mm. sureness. Mm. But allow yourself that you're going to grow and they're going to grow and they don't have to be where you are at the time and you don't have to be where you were at the time. Mm. You can always grow. Powerful. Like Powerful. Like and any, any quote or... Um, family moral values that you got within your family that you teach as well too like a quote or something that you always leave the kids with uh, a quote that I leave the kids with uh, you can be anything you want to be, you be. <laughs> well that's very true I like that one that is very true yeah. and we support you in that oh absolutely yeah. But I guess even if you went back to, okay, a small quote, and I do have this on our website, is that, you know, when people are looking, okay, we, we want to change the world, recognize that change will only come through each individual doing what they can. Mm-hmm. It only takes a small group of real committed people to make that significant difference. And sometimes we think we need, it needs to be government, needs to be this large group. No, if you do what you can, I do what I can. Very small group. Remember again, the story of Misana one person I always say every single person that I've had the opportunity to touch was because of her mm. so let's do what we can Mo- Molly yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah water's right there I don't believe you and they, they strike yeah. water oh my yeah. gosh um leave everybody one with the website and uh, social media uh, platforms like let them know uh consultant.com and then we're on Facebook Twitter and Instagram very easy to find Fantastic. The, world. the little boy from Jamaica is on Amazon. If you can't get it from us or uh, the booksellers that sell it in Winnipeg, so Amazon, it's available. And the little girl will be there shortly. Awesome. Wow. Well, amazing podcast. Amazing podcast. I'm glad that you were on the show. Definitely have to have you back on for the next book. Right. And um, anything else you want to leave the, the, the crowd with, you know, whoever's listening um, worldwide? You know, I would simply say when we look at what's happening, what we see happening in popular media, try to do counter to that. Mm. Let's try to build bridges and let's bring communities together and create the world that we all desire. I yeah. love it. Good. I'm ditto. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. Appreciate it. No problem. All right. Q goes out. Thank you for listening to the Life Journey Podcast with Quentin Gauze.